What is up, Amazon Hustlers? Welcome to episode 26 of the Amazon Hustle Podcast. My name is Lewis Moore. I am your host. I want to talk about, I actually want to talk to the beginner Amazon sellers. I know I have a few, I know most of the people that listen to my podcast are beginner Amazon sellers or people thinking about starting Amazon. So let me talk to you guys. I want to talk to you guys about the effect of social media and comparing yourself to others and how that can affect you and your business. When you look on TikTok and you look on Instagram, you're gonna see a whole bunch of people telling you that you need to get a VA or you need to get a prep center and you need to work smarter and not harder. You need to do all this bullshit, but to be real with you, you don't need to listen to any of them. You are a beginner. You need to just keep your head down and focus on actually learning how to sell on Amazon and actually learning how the process works and learning how to find good products and just scaling your business. Like I put a post on this a couple of days ago on my Instagram. Make sure you follow me on Instagram if you're not. I said a lot of beginners focus on outsourcing way too quick. You don't need a VA. You don't need a prep center. You don't need any of that stuff. You can literally scale your business to 50,000 sales a month without using any of that type of stuff and just doing it by yourself. But people don't do it because it's a grind and most people are lazy and they're scared of hard, hard work. When you first start out, you don't need like if you're making $5,000 sales on Amazon, why are you spending that money that you get on a on a like a VA. If you're making 5,000 sales and you have a 15% profit margin, which is very good. Most people have like 10 to 12. But let's say you have a 15% um, profit margin. That's $750 that you're making profit. And then you're paying a VA $100 a week to find you leads. So you're paying like so you're paying over half of your profits to somebody else to find you leads. And apparently it's not working because you're not scaling your business. So stop trying to figure out, "Oh, how can I work smarter and just focus on working harder for any person I've ever met in any type of business that I've ever talked to. They always have to work harder before you can work smarter because working harder helps you build these systems and these SOPs. If you guys don't know what SOPs means, it's, it's an army acronym that stands for standard standard operating procedures, which is pretty much shows you how you do any type of job with like step-by-step, step. but working hard gets you to build these systems and these SOPs. So you can't skip working hard to work smart because if you skip working hard to work smart, are you really working smart? So instead of trying to work smarter, work harder and focus on the things that will actually build the foundation of your business. Sourcing, prepping, finding replenishable items, being able to track your items, being organized and actually focusing in on the business side of it. This is another thing. I don't like I don't want to go off on a tangent, but this is this is another thing. A lot of Amazon sellers are approaching the Amazon business with the flipper mind state instead of the business mind state. And the flipper mind state is like you see those people on Instagram and YouTube who sell on eBay. No offense to eBay sellers. I used to sell on eBay, but eBay sellers have like this flipper mindset. They go to the thrift store, they find something, they flip it, then they're on to the next item. That's not how you run a good Amazon business. It's not about flipping things. It's about finding products that you can sell over and over and over and building your catalog up. So you need to get away from the flipper mindset and get into the business mindset and realize that Amazon is an actual business and that's how you need to run it. So Instead of watching 30,000 videos on how to source, minus my videos, watch all my videos, check out my YouTube channel. Um, minus, so instead of watching 30,000 videos on how to source, watch 15,000 videos on how to source, and then watch 15,000 videos on how to pay your taxes, how to track your cost of goods, how to track your cost of business, how to apply for a loan, how to get an Amazon loan, and what's the um, and what's the details about it, how, how do they pay you, what are the interest rates, how do they take their payments. While sourcing is the main thing in your Amazon business, it's not the only thing. So yes, 
sourcing is very important but you need to worry about other things like do you guys know how to fix your stranded inventory do you know how to check to see how to get reimbursed when amazon loses your shipments do you even know if amazon is losing your shipments do you know that you should when you sell something on amazon and you don't plan to sell it again you should actually delete that listing because it affects your amazon because it affects your actual account health do you guys know what your account health is like there's are you sending automatic receipts to your customers there's so much stuff that you need to focus on besides just sourcing to run an actual business and all i'm saying is that you need to focus on those things too i don't want to take too long with my intro because i'm really excited for this episode this episode is with one of my homies jomar man i want to be like jomar when i grow up this brother is he's doing it solo he is a solopreneur Last month, he did $350,000 in sales. He's doing it by himself. No VA, no prep center. He's doing the listing. He's doing the sourcing. He's doing the prepping. He's doing all of it. But that just goes to show you that you're making your 5000 which I'm not knocking anybody for making 5000 10000 Like, I'm not saying, oh, if you're not making 100000 then you're not good. Of course, it's a scale and it's a grind but if you're making if if like you're at the level to where you're making under ten thousand under twenty thousand a month in gross profit sales you don't need no help you don't need a va you don't need a prep center you don't need any of that you need to just buckle down and do the hard work and spend the time save that money that you would spend with a prep center or with a va reinvest that into something that's going to make you money like more products and keep scaling so jomar is just a testament to what i'm saying that you can get up to fifty thousand or in jomar's place being selling three hundred fifty thousand in a month and just doing it by yourself so i'm gonna stop talking now and get straight into the interview i really hope you guys enjoy this interview it is one of my favorite interviews and let's get into it one of the first things that all new amazon sellers should do is to get ungated in some categories and some brands but that can be very confusing for new amazon sellers they go to companies that are charging them upwards of 500 dollars to get ungated in one brand or category which is way too much money to even pay to get ungated or they do the research themselves and end up spending too much money on a product to get ungated i have a new course called the ungating guide which will show you how to get ungated in all the popular brands like lego barbie pokemon reebok nike and over a hundred more plus categories like health and beauty and groceries and gourmet. If you guys want to get the ungating guide, click the link in the description. So Jomar, can you tell my listeners who you are and exactly what it is that you do? Yes. So my name is Jomar. Um, I'm based out of New York City, particularly the Bronx. And I've been selling on Amazon since August of 2017. And I started with retail arbitrage, primarily in some online arbitrage. But today my business is basically 90%, 95%, you could say wholesale um, and 5% RA and things like that. So I don't, I don't really do OA and um, yeah, a lot of the product sourcing and things like that is, is, is really just me picking it up, picking everything up from suppliers and wholesalers and getting deliveries as well. So I'm very hands-on in that way. I don't use any prep centers at the current time either okay um let's go back to 2017 when you first decided to start doing amazon um how did you even find out about amazon fba so yeah that's a great question um pretty much i graduated college in 2015 and i was in the entire nine to five world doing a sales role and at the time i was just looking for ways to make money online the the whole concept just interested me right so i'm like how do, how are, i know people are doing it but how are they doing it and from there i just went into a pandora's box of research 
um, came across things like affiliate marketing, uh, already knew about things like eBay and offer up and things like that. Where you kind of just sell your own stuff and list it, ship it out or meet with the seller, uh, with the buyer. I'm sorry. And, uh, eventually, um, I came across a seminar on Facebook from a guy named Adam Ginsberg and, um, he's with a group called internet mastery. Today, he's essentially, he's essentially how I got started. I basically went to the seminar. It was in New York City. It was a three-day seminar. And after that, I just signed up for the coaching. Um, and yeah, the rest is history. That's pretty much how I found out about Amazon Okay. and selling name brand products online. Okay. So when you, so when you decided that you wanted to maybe, I guess, find a side hustle that you can do online. What was it about Amazon FBA that maybe didn't work with you with like affiliate marketing or any of the other ways that you figured out? Like, why was Amazon FBA, you was like, let me give that a try. Was it just the way the, the guy did his seminar or was it something else? I think it's the fact that it's very proactive, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can go today, you can go to a store and scan products or you can go online and, and source products that way through online arbitrage. And it's really about the work that you put in and the data that's available to us. You say, okay, so if I source these labels for five bucks, but I see that they're selling for 15, you know, that looks real to me versus affiliate marketing. Didn't really seem that scalable in that way. It seemed like it would take more time to really make some, you know, hundred bucks a day, 200 bucks a day type of thing mm -hmm. with something like affiliate marketing. And I knew that, okay, if I find 10 products, eventually if I find 10 products and I can sell 10 products 10 times a day and build off of that, that that will be scalable in the long run. So yeah. it just intrigued me in that way. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I know I kind of have the similar thing. I, I started selling in 2019, but I started making money online in 2017 because I was working a regular job and I was like, all right, I'm... Like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm always trying to learn something new. So I'm always on YouTube looking at things and like figuring out how people nice. do things. So I got to the point that at first I had a blog and um, I made like my first thousand dollars a month doing just blogging. And I was like, okay, now it's really real. But I didn't like blogging. Yeah. I didn't like the topic that I was talking about. So then I kept searching and I kept searching and then I came around to eBay and then I started on eBay and just doing eBay. You want to get better at doing eBay. So I found Amazon and Amazon just seemed to me like, the speed of it seemed a lot quicker than like affiliate marketing oh, yeah. and blogging and, and things like that. And also to me with like, I create content, Amazon content, and I have a YouTube, but I can only create the content, but I can't control who watches it. So it's more of, they have to come to me, but with Amazon, you already know what's selling. You just have to get it at a good price and then you know, it's going to sell. So it's more of, you just have to do the work. Like you said, it's more like a self-starting thing. So I like that also. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing, man. I'm curious. What did you uh, blog about? What was your blog? Oh about? man, I had a blog about, it was about the keto diet and I would okay. blog about different um, recipes and all this type of stuff. And I nice. didn't actually write the recipe Well, I would take other people's recipes and then just kind of remix it, but I would use their actual um, pictures and some people liked it. And then some people didn't like it, even though I credited them, they, some people would be cool with it and other people wouldn't be cool with it. And the people who weren't cool with it, they kind of got me banned on Pinterest. Cause I was getting like 90% of my um, traffic from Pinterest. So when I got banned from Pinterest, I lost all my traffic. So I was like, all right, well, let me move okay. on to them. Like the next thing. 
exactly. Okay, God. so we gotta start somewhere, right? We all exactly. start somewhere. But yeah. it, but it showed me like I was making like at the end of it, I was making like sixteen hundred a month, and I was only making two thousand dollars at my regular job. So it showed me that it was possible. So it worked out. Right. That's so awesome. you're at this three day seminar. Was it like in person or was it like video? Yeah. So you know, this was 2017. So it was before the pandemic, before right. people were scared to, you know, be closer than six feet from each other and things like that. So it was in a hotel seminar room, particularly on 34th street, probably like over a hundred people there. And I was just in the front row, right? Like when you really want to learn something, you sit in the front and you're just all ears locked in. Um, and, and yeah, so in the end, I think like, 20 something people signed up, but can I ask how much the coaching was? The coaching at the time was it was a pretty penny. It was around it included things like software and prep center services right. and different things like that. Um, it was twenty five thousand. Whoa. So, okay. 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 Yeah, I invest, and this was you know I didn't know anything about anything at the time. You don't right. know what you don't know type of thing. And some people may say, oh, that's a lot of money or you got ripped off or like, no, I, I definitely got my money's worth out of that um, in terms of who I connected with, the sellers I connected with, the coaches, uh, learning the softwares from A to Z. The way that I looked at it is pretty much if you invest in a franchise, right? Like if you invest in a McDonald's or um, a Burger King, you need to invest Fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars plus. I think McDonald's is something crazy, but that's another conversation. But um, they gave me everything, right? They threw right. all the tools at me, all the coaching. Everybody was accessible, and I didn't have to go anywhere else. I, yeah. I knew exactly what to do, so I just went crazy with online arbitrage and retail arbitrage at the time. And um, yeah. I yeah. eventually paid it off, and that's when I knew, okay, like it worked. At this three day seminar, what? what did you actually learn there? Cause like you pay for the coaching. So like, what was the actual seminar teaching you? Yeah. So the three day seminar was really like a preliminary thing. It was really just a hundred and a hundred bucks, 150 bucks. And then at the end we were offered like the coaching, but um, we learned pretty much, we did a lot of like live product sourcing. Mm -hmm. So he went on different websites that maybe a lot of us still product source on today. And he showed us how to use the tools Mm -hmm. and his tool, his proprietary tool is called Spy Rivals and um, shows you different things like sales per day and, and um, sales rank and other different things like that. But he, going back to the whole concept of it being real, mm -hmm. you know, he showed us like, okay, if you buy this and it costs you $5 and it's going for 15, 20, you'll make $4, whatever it is. Right. Um, so we learned some of that. We learned how, you know, the prep center services work pretty much just a lot of mindset coaching, because that's a big thing you need if you're going to do this business, because it's, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. Yes, of course. Um, a lot of times you need to really stay in the game and, and your psyche has to be there. So, um, man, I mean, it was 2017. But what I gather the most from that time was we did a, a hell of a lot of product sourcing um using the tools and and showed us he just showed us how it all worked mm -hmm. so that we can go back and do it ourselves right that makes and, sense so it was pretty yeah. much 
it was pretty much just like an overview of everything and how it works. And then when you got into the coaching, it got down to the nitty gritty and showed you like everything that you needed to get yourself going. Yeah, exactly. A lot of like the, you know, the, a lot of the questions that people have in the beginning that are completely yeah. new to the game, right? Like, oh, like, how do you sell? How do you know what to sell? What do you sell? You know, those beginner kind of questions. Um, I left from that three-day seminar, like just fired up, kind of knowing all of those basics. Right. That's nice. Okay. So yeah, you did this three-day seminar at the end of the seminar. Okay. In that three-day seminar, at what point did you know you were going to sign up for the coaching? Man, I think looking back, I mean, I think I, I would say I, right, because you, you didn't know, you you didn't know that the coaching was going to be offered at the, on the first day or the second day. You thought that, um, you know, it was just a, the three-day seminar, the 150 bucks, like, whoa, you, what a steal. Mm -hmm. um, but um, the moment that the coaching off was offered, I jumped on it. Okay. Um, so it was just me being all in from the start and just saying like, hey, like whatever it takes, I'm going to do this because, you know, what do I have to lose? Okay. At the time, I didn't have uh, any kids. I didn't have a house or anything like right. that. You say that you have to be all in. Do you think new Amazon sellers, when they decide to become an Amazon seller, they have to be all in? Or or is it something that you can kind of do? I don't want to say half ass, but like just no. like 50% and then still have success with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even like 40%, because when I started, right, I still had my full-time job working from nine to five and I would get home at 6 PM. And from there I would product source for an hour or two online and, you know, find a couple of products, have them shipped to my house and do it all over again the next day. Or maybe I'll, I would do that like three days during the week. And then during the weekend was when I would go and venture out and you know, look for deals, clearance, whatever it is. So really at that time, I wasn't at 100%. I was really at like 40%, 45%. So absolutely, you know, you can definitely um, do do this for a few hours a day, as long as you're intentional about it. But um, this isn't something that if, you know, if you pray about it or hope about it, or hope it's going to grow, it's, it's going to grow itself is not because it really does take time, effort and intention. And without that, you know, you won't see any results. I'm curious, man. Are you a gamer? I see you got the Mortal Kombat shirt. Um, the Fallout figure in the back. I used to be. I used to really be. But now I don't have that much time to be able to do it, which I guess is a good thing. But, like, I used to be when, like, I was younger. And, I mean, I still like the culture and, like, I still like the game. I game. That's probably my only hobby. I just don't get to do it that much. You? Gotcha. Gotcha. I would say it's... I mean, I definitely do. I'll, I'll show you my, I don't know if it's going to be blurry, but it's only blurry because the the settings, these, right. like I collect on the side oh. for fun. Okay. You throw all my games right there. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, man. Nice. But nice. more of a, like, like you, I don't really have time to like sit and play for hours and hours. I'll probably play an hour here and there or whatever. Yeah, but, exactly. That's how I am. Yeah. What's your, um, what's your favorite, favorite game? Favorite game, man. Um, Honestly, if I'm being honest, Tetris. Tetris? <laughs> and it kind of goes with like Amazon, right? Because you got to stack boxes and you got to make sure they fit the right way. But right. I can play Tetris for hours. I can play Call of Duty. I can play a story game, you know, some God of War, Dragon Ball Z, whatever right. it is. Right. Um, but yeah, I pretty much would play anything for right. the most part.
Yeah. Mine's is um Mortal Kombat on Super Nintendo. I guess that's when my love oh, of gaming right. first first started. So yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I love but, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, love Mortal but, Kombat. But now I'm really into Call of Duty. It's I actually play it on the phone mostly, and like that's what like I like to play nice. now. So okay, nice. so you're working full full time, and then when you come home, you'll put in some hours there, and then that's when you do online arbitrage, and then you'll save the weekends to go around and do some retail arbitrage. How long did you do that before you decided to go full time? Yeah, so when I was working my nine to five, um, I was actually looking for another job because I want to, you know, you you work for a company that you want to transition and level up, um, get a raise. And one of the ways to get a raise in the nine to five world is easily or quickly is to just get another job, right? A job that will pay you a more competitive wage. Right. So I transitioned to another job. I would say, so if I started in August, 2017, this time now was like March, April. Okay. So give or take six, seven months from there, I transitioned. And then, but the difference from the new job and the old job was that the hours increased during the day. So oh. I was working from 8 to 6 p.m. That job coming from an 8.30 to 4.30 schedule where sometimes I could hit the field and end the day earlier, right? So it was more demanding on my day. And then one like the first week I looked at my, my phone, I picked up my phone, like during a meeting at the new job <laughs> and I looked at my Amazon sales. I'm like, Oh snap. Like I'm still making sales. Um, you know, being at my new job because I got kind of sidetracked and I just had a thought. I was like, if I, man, if I really just put my full time, full time into Amazon, like my full, um, time and energy into Amazon, I can really blow this thing up because I was kind of just slipping on Amazon, going into the new job. I was focusing on that. Um, so I just had a, like a, like a lightning strike moment, a light bulb moment, if you will, that just, you know, I just told myself if I was to go all the way with this, I'll, um, I can really blow this up. But anyway, um, I would say like seven months in, I went full time and the story is I had so much conviction with Amazon that on during the second week of the new job, and I'm not exactly proud of this, and it wasn't really um, <laughs> something I've ever done, but the second week of the new job, I went on lunch, and I never came back. <laughs> <laughs> I got something to say about that. I got something to say about yeah. that. I'm sorry. I just um, straight up came back. I like that, because... Yeah. When I went full time, I could have went full time before I actually decided to go full time. But the mm -hmm. job that I had was so perfect. Like I would go to work from six to four p.m. But in those yeah. six, but but in those ten hours, I literally will work like maybe twenty minutes, and the rest of the time I can edit my YouTube videos. I can do product sourcing. I can even bring stuff there, like little because I was selling books and, and stuff then, so I can bring books there and clean them and like do all that. So it was so right. it was perfect. So it was like I was I was getting paid twice. But then my boss came to me and he was like, you know what? We have to move you from here and move you to a different place. So they were gonna give me a new job that had more hours. I, I will have to work nighttime, I will have to work um weekends, mm. I would have to do all that stuff type of stuff. So I sat down and I was like, okay, they'll give me like a little bit more money, but I won't have my weekends free and I won't have my nights free. So I'll be losing so much money with Amazon and with my coaching and with and with everything else. So yeah. while he and then also while he was telling me that, 
I got two PayPal um two PayPal payments for coaching. And I made like a thousand dollars on Amazon a day. So while he's telling me he's gonna give me a sixty cents increase, I'm looking at my phone and I made three thousand dollars. So I'm like, "Yep, that doesn't really make sense." We had a similar situation where it was exactly. like, hey, so we, yeah, exactly. So he was like, "So I want you to go over to this other place and talk to the boss and see how it is." So I did that. I went to the boss. And he was like, "Yeah, you got to do this and you got to do that." And I was like, in my head, in my head, I'm like, "I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do this." And then he was like, "So when do you want to start?" Yeah. And then he was like, when do you want to start? And then I'm like, I can start Monday. In my head, I know I'm not going to start Monday. He was like, all right, I'll see you Monday. And I just left and then never went back. So yeah. that's funny. I mean, and that that's just a reflection of the new age, right? Like we don't need to rely on a company to to generate income and to to make money for us and our families, right? Like the internet has so many new resources to to make money now like it's not just amazon it's shopify or even walmart seller um but even like youtube right if someone wants to become a youtube content creator they can make money doing that so um you know i, I wasn't looking back i wish i maybe have would have done it differently like walking out of um work but it was just a reflection of how bad i wanted it and how far i was willing to go with it so you want to know, know well, I first off, I agree with you about the making money online and how the new generation that we're living in, how you can do that. And also, I want to add on to that. I think with the whole pandemic and things that happened with that, with as many people that lost their job, that thought their job was safe. We now yes. know that we live in a time that nothing is safe. Even a regular nine to five job is safe. So I personally think even if like I'm not one of those big people that everybody has to become an entrepreneur and not work. We need people to work. But even if you do work, I still think you should have a side income just in case something something does happen. I agree. I agree. Like I still have, you know, I'm a humble guy. Like I don't care how many sales I make. I still keep my options open. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm trying to make, uh, I'm building up a YouTube channel, but totally unrelated to Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, I still have my Uber driver app active. Like if I need to go out and make some extra cash, like I just keep everything active just in case. So exactly. um, I think that's smart. Yeah. You know? I think that's smart. Um, and then I want to say, when you said that you wish that, well, not that you wish, but if you can go back and do it over and not just walk out, I thought about that for, oh, for like, like, dang, maybe that was messed up for me telling him that I was, that I was going to come on Monday and he's waiting on me. But then I thought about it. Your job doesn't give a shit about you. If you were to like yeah. not show up, most jobs wouldn't even worry about you or see where you were at or or if you were dead or if you were hurt, they would just fire you and have you. And even if you did die, they would just replace you the like uh, like the exact next exactly. day. So I don't feel bad about walking out because I know that they I've been fired plenty of times and nobody ever, ever felt bad about that. So I personally don't think that you should feel bad about choosing what's best for you and your family or future family or your future life. Thank you, man. I appreciate no that. I feel, All right. Feel Huh? <laughs> I feel better about it now. <laughs> all yeah. right. So, all right. So let's get back to Amazon. Once you started doing online arbitrage and retail arbitrage, at what point did you realize that Amazon was a real thing? Like you could actually make real money on there. Was there a defining moment or is that something that you knew going in? Um, well, I mean, I started at probably the perfect time, right? Because I started in August and then there's September and October and that's, and now you're in Q4. Right. So the velocity, you know, everything I was sending in was just selling right away. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't take me long really to see the, the, 
the proof of Amazon and probably like two, three months in, I was um, seeing the potential of how fast products sell. And, you know, I'm like, man, if I just keep sending things in and I do it the right way mm -hmm. um, with the knowledge that they've taught me, then this thing can go, only go up from here. Right. And of course you make your mistakes and, and there's things you don't know here and there, but um, that's all a part of the game. But um, I would say that, you know, two, three months in or even less, mm -hmm. uh, I believed in Amazon. Right. So speaking of mistakes and loss, what's the biggest loss you took in your Amazon business? Taking a couple. Um, I without really like I know I said I invested in coaching and stuff, but private label wasn't really a part of it. And that's something that I took the liberty of doing myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I and this was like three months in. You know, <laughs> okay. Ambitious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Back then it was easy, right? To make listings. Mm -hmm. You can make a listing just by typing away, but now you need, you know, there's certain requirements and Amazon makes you jump through some hoops. But um, I made a private label listing and I ordered it from China and everything was a pet product. And I thought just because I was listing it, that it would just sell and things would go great, but it sucked. You know, it bombed, it completely bombed. Um, so that was one just, I, 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 even with my sales, like I've done, um, over 5 million in sales on Amazon around 6 million, uh, revenue mm -hmm. to emphasize that, um, I still wouldn't do private label without a course. Like I would look to a course of someone that has, that has mastered private label and knows what they're doing. And, um, Yeah. So that, that was one mistake. And then one, the other time I lost money was with the G10 issues. I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah. They deleted all those barcodes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was more so out of my control, right? Because some things are in your control, some things you can prevent, but some things are totally out of your hands. Right. Um, so there was some ASINs that I was super deep on and they were selling well, you know, name brand products, but the G um the G10 requirements that Amazon just threw on us seemingly overnight mm -hmm. pretty much shut down a, a listing that I had probably like five, six, seven grand on. Oh and man. luckily I was able to th get some of those back and put it on a two-pack listing. Okay. Uh, and and salvage some of that. But at that point you're really just trying to get your money back kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So you know those are some issues there. And then I've had products that have just bombed and, and tanked and stuff like that. Um, but those are the more notable ones, I right. would say. Right. Yeah. Okay. What, like, okay, because you say that now 90 to 95% of your business is wholesale. I personally have my own idea of how wholesaling is go, how, well, how wholesaling goes for me. I don't consider myself a wholesaler. I just know that when I find a good product, whether in retail arbitrage or online arbitrage, and I can't get enough of them in the store or online, then I just look for a distributor that I can get it. So how does it work for a person who does mostly wholesale? How do you go about finding your products? Do you use the same things that we use for online arbitrage, or do you have like a whole different way of finding products for wholesale? Yeah. Yeah. I literally use literally use the same tools that I would use to source a retail arbitrage or online arbitrage product. I use those same tools to source a wholesale item. Right. right? So obviously keep us like, you know, the, the, the standard, right. The standard, everybody uses Keepa. anybody that's anybody as an 
Amazon seller uses Keepa. Um, one of the newer softwares I got into is um, Seller Amp. Yeah, that one is pretty good. Um, but I still use the, the Spy Rivals software that I started with. One of the softwares that I really used to use a lot, a lot to just discover wholesale listings, though, is DS QuickView. I don't know if you ever heard of that. I never heard of that. But pretty much, um, and there's a lot of similar softwares out there, but that's pretty much where you're on the Amazon website. You search for a product, right? Like if it's grandma soup, 16 ounces, you're on the Amazon website, the customer side, not the seller site. Mm-hmm. And you make a search and pretty much what it does for you is show you all of the listings on the customer site, but it's right under the customer um, listing. It has the seller data. So okay. it has the rank, the amount of sellers, if Amazon is on it mm-hmm. and the sales rank, because uh, I already said sales rank, but all of the information that we need, right. to to qualify or disqualify a product it'll be right under the listing. Right. So pretty much from there, you just right click the listings and you, you're you opening them up on the side as you're combing through the customer site. And then from there, you can um, identify which ones you want, actually want to work with and go with and list those. But pretty much the goal with wholesale now, because you're getting big quantities, is to, you know, get on the two-pack listing, the three-pack listing, the four-pack listing, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, because a lot of the items that I sell wholesale are consumable items, right? Health and personal care, grocery items, and sometimes people want more than enough quantities for two months, three months, whatever it is. And um, yeah, and that's a really easy way to scale your wholesale business because once you get one product, now you're on three listings with one type of product, right? And then if you're getting five products, five times three, now you're on 15, 20 listings, and it just balloons that way. And that's pretty much how it's, it went for me in a nutshell. Nice. Through the- um, I got a question. I got a question for you about wholesale. When, you, yeah. when you're doing the whole process that you're just saying, right, and you find a new product, and you're like, all right, this one's about to go. I want to sell this one. Do you do yeah. test buys first? Or like, how do you go about going to, how do you go about adding that product into your catalog of ASINs? So when I find an ASIN that I want to sell, I, before I even buy it, I'll list it or try to list it just so I know that I'm eligible to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and that and that's you the first delete thing it I'm, after or, or like you just leave the listing up. I'll just leave the listing up, you know, for when I buy it and everything, because a mistake that newer sellers make and that, and that's something I still do now is They'll buy it, you know, everything looks good, but when they get back home, you know, where they were doing a retail arbitrage or or whatever, and they get back to their their station, they try to list it. Ah, crap, I can't sell it. I'm yeah. restricted. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a category or it's a brand. So that's the first thing I would do. Um, and then test buys, I mean, at this point, I'm probably at the stage where even if, if even if it is a test buy, I'll probably buy, you know, maybe a hundred units. Um, and that's just a way because at the point that I am now with my wholesalers, it's like we're very established. Mm-hmm. So I'll just go deep from the beginning. Okay. But there are times where I'll just buy like and I still do today. I'll still buy like 30 units, but I'll make it very clear to my suppliers. Say, hey, I'm, I might be coming back for these very soon. 
I'm just going to go and, and I'm very transparent, right? Like I'm just, I just need to test this and see if it works and I'll be right back and I'm going to buy out potentially everything. Right. right. So it's just being transparent about it, about what your plans are with the product. And of course you have to be at a certain level with relationship wise with your supplier on that. So, yeah, but yeah, test buys for sure. You talk about, um, having a good relationship or you talk about being transparent with your wholesalers, like how important is it to have a good relationship with your wholesalers or your suppliers? And what do you consider a good relationship? Like, are y'all talking on the phone about the game or is it just emails back and forth or do you have, or do they have like a representative that you talk to? How does that work out? Yeah. So it's very important, man. It's very important because you're pretty much, working with them on a frequent basis and you want to be intentional about the fact and communicating to them that you're in a phase where you're actively trying to grow your business mm -hmm. and you know, you're, you're hungry. You, you want to buy more inventory and you're telling them that, right? So you want to let them know because now that you're telling them that that kind of gives them an incentive and it triggers them to, okay, if this guy is doing what he's saying, he's going to, he's going to do, then I'm going to go order more inventory for him, right? So as you continuously buy inventory and spend with them, now they're ordering, you know, they have to order the inventory as well. Mm -hmm. And that takes time as well for them to get it and everything. It doesn't just magically show up. Right. So you want, you want to be telling them, Hey, I'm, you know, this is, this is moving good for me. I'm, I'm probably going to need more. And this could be something that I can sell throughout the entire year or indefinitely. Mm -hmm. um, and now when, when it comes to how the relationship is with my supplier, um, you know, we're texting, like we're sending text messages to each other, emails. Um, it's at that level where it almost feels like a friendship, right? Because you're now you guys are kind of work thriving and working off of each other, building off of each other. And yeah, man, it's really just building chemistry. Right. with them because they're a business just like us like we do think of suppliers like when we think suppliers we think of these big scary national corporations right but a lot of the times they're regular people just like us um i work with when you ask me about representatives or the like i work a lot with the owners okay in, in most cases and there, there is one where I work with representatives, but I, I know the owner as well. Mm -hmm. And you want to try your best to, even if you're working with representatives, you want to try your best to still, you know, shake the owner's hand and let the owner know who you are type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, still let them know who, who you are, what you do, how much you're looking to spend and everything like that. And yeah, but for the most part, I'm working with distributors and suppliers and not really brand direct mm -hmm. and i know the owner in most cases which has been uh, beneficial for me right. for sure nice um yeah. how would i go about getting a wholesale account like is there a specific way to do it or is each wholesaler different that's a great question i mean there's a multiple you know there's multiple ways really like you can if you can just Google them and, and they're close to you. The best thing to do is, is to meet with them as, as quick as possible. Like that human interaction that 
being able to shake their hand and say hello and putting a face to a name type of thing is what's going to expedite that whole process. Calling them, you know, is an option, but they never everybody that is good. Right. Um. Sorry. Go ahead. What you said? No, no. I was saying that when I ever call my wholesalers, they never answer the phone. Like they're never at the phone, so I physically have to go there or send multiple emails. But when I call them, I never, I never get an answer. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. So most wholesalers, experienced wholesalers, will always put calling them as probably the last option. Right. But it's still an option. So you can call them and try it out. You know, they'll pick up. They won't pick up. And then you go to the next option. But um, if you can go and shake their hand, that's the best thing. Um, you can go to, you can Google them and look for them that way and go in person or call them. You can go to trade shows like ASD is the biggest um, wholesale trade show for suppliers and distributors and private label manufacturers. And there are some other trade shows out there too that exist. Um, but one of my favorite ways that I've found um, suppliers is just truck like looking for looking out for trucks when i'm driving on the road um you'll always see you're bound to come across a truck of a wholesale supplier and distributor mm -hmm. you know they're advertising their business on their on the truck and the phone number and the address is all on there and i've there's been multiple times where i've been driving or you know obviously i try to park or <laughs> i'm at a red light or whatever but you know there have been one or two times where i'm like yeah <laughs> taking a picture of the supplier um, just to snatch that picture up really fast. So that's one way, um, kind of an underrated way, I would say. And the la and one other way that I found a brand direct actually manufacturer, not a supplier distributor, is through the um, company detail on the actual product. I was gonna say so that. a lot of the times, like grocery products, they have all of their contact information, address, things like that on the physical product. I've searched for them and contacted them that way. And that's probably the easiest way to get to a brand direct and not really a supplier. Exactly. Um, I, yeah, all those ways are really, really great. One way that works for me or that has worked for me, because we were talking earlier, I don't know if it's going to be on the video or not, but I was talking about how my wholesaling kind of thing is, is I find good products online arbitrage that's selling five, 10 times yes. a day. And I can't order 300 online. So I would have to mm -hmm. figure out how to find a wholesaler that way. But one way is I, when I was doing retail arbitrage a lot, like now I'm trying to do more retail arbitrage, but when I'm in the stores, you kind of learn the store schedules of when they restock and when they do that, yeah. and when they restock, the stock has to come from somewhere and they're not there at 12 and in the morning doing it. So I would go a little bit earlier and you can catch the trucks that are going in and are going out. And like you said, they have their number and their name on the side of it. And I'll just take a quick picture and then call them up and be like, hey, I'm I'm interested in working with you guys. Can you send me a catalog of the product that you have? That always, yeah, that yeah. always worked with me. That's probably my favorite method um, that I've discovered just from experience um, in the last two years or so. So exactly. yeah. Um, uh, when you're looking for a wholesaler, are you looking for, is it like you have a product that's selling and you want to find out where to get more of it? Or is it that you have an idea of a category that you want to sell in and you just want to find a wholesaler that kind of caters to that category? Honestly, I've found, I've have found suppliers both ways, mm -hmm. right? Because I have a product, I'm contacting the supplier with the product in mind. Mm -hmm. And the hope is that they have other products, um, similar products or just any products that I can resell. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I have found suppliers and, and built a relationship with a product in mind. And I found suppliers with no product in mind, but I'm just going off of the categories that they're advertising. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's calling them up. Hey, I see that you're selling health and personal product, health and household, uh, personal care, grocery type of products. And I'm interested in seeing what type of products you're selling. And at that point, you know, you're, you're blind. You don't know what they have. Right. First, and that's different from going with a product in mind and saying, hey, I know that you have this, um, you know, this book and I want to buy in a wholesale capacity. If I can get, if I can buy it in bulk from you, will you offer me a discounted price or can you give me any deal that way type of thing? So yeah, definitely both methods are are helpful when connecting with suppliers. Yeah, I think when it comes to Amazon, you kind of have to be like a Swiss army knife. Like there's methods yeah. that work, but you kind of got to have a couple of them and be able to pivot between them. Don't be stuck on, this is the way I've always done it. And this is the way it's going to be. You got to be able to pivot yeah. left and right. Um, exactly. exactly. I'm not going to tell you my opinion on it. Cause I want to hear exactly what you're going to say, but I get a lot of people, well, not a lot, but I get a few people who hit me up and say, Hey, I don't know how to sell on Amazon, but I do want to start selling on Amazon and I want to do wholesale. How do you feel about new Amazon sellers going straight to wholesale? Do you have like just yeah, how how do you feel about that? How do I feel about new sellers going into wholesale? Not um, ever, not um, not ever doing retail arbitrage, not doing online arbitrage, don't even know what a sales rank is, brand new, but they know they want to do wholesale. If you want me to be completely honest, of course, I think it's a bad idea. Yes, okay, because good. you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. You don't know what the system is like. You don't know what it feels like to send out a shipment and how long it takes for Amazon to check it in and for Amazon to put you in the buy box and for you to get that first sale and then for you to actually get your money back. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know that whole cycle, which is um, an experience, right? So when you're just going blindsided, if I was to just start wholesale, not knowing what I'm doing, and I'm investing a thousand dollars into a supplier and God forbid the product tanks or uh, it just doesn't work out. You know, that's, that's my fault because I didn't have any idea of what the system is like. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a bad idea. I, I think it's better to start with retail arbitrage e- or online arbitrage, buying 10 to 15, 30 units, whatever it is, 50 units, keeping a minimal investment and just, like I said, just testing out the experience, seeing what it's like, seeing how it goes and going from there. The way I feel about new Amazon sellers starting wholesale is the exact same way I feel about new Amazon sellers starting pr- private labeling. Because I personally oh. feel <laughs> I, personally, <laughs> I personally feel when you start selling on Amazon compared to selling on eBay or Poshmark, you Amazon is like its own world in its own system. You have to understand how to get in the buy box, how to reprice your items, how to ship your items, how to list your items. So when you have to focus in on that and you have $5,000, $10,000 invested of your last money or the only money that you have invested into products, you're not really focused on actually learning how to actually sell on Amazon. So I always say- Oh yeah, that's a great perspective. Yeah, if like you always like, if you want to sell, like this, like this is the same thing when I have people come to me and I ask them how much money do they have to invest? They say, I got 10,000, I got 15,000. I'll say, how about you take a thousand, buy something small, figure it out, send out a couple of shipments, see if you even like it. 
see if you're even able to put it into your life. And then we can talk about doing more, but you should start small and just scale it up. So I just feel that starting off with wholesale is a bad way. I can see it as a goal and you can have that first, but just jumping into it, I think retail and online arbitrage is a lot safer. I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And honestly, when you're starting out, after you have a couple of grand, like really the money is meaningless if you don't know what you're doing. Exactly. So you can lose that money fast if you don't know what you're doing. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Is there a reason why you don't use prep centers? Because you, you say that you're a very on the ground type of guy, like you're driving up, picking up your stuff. So is there a reason why you don't use prep centers? Uh, besides being a control freak, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. besides that is just really the fact that my suppliers are local, right? Mm -hmm. So if I was to take the pallets of products from my supplier locally and ship it to my prep center in a tax-free state, wherever that is, now I have to pay to send it over there. And that's just an extra fee. Right. Um, I know that all prep centers aren't made equal but i've heard a lot of horror stories mm -hmm. there um you know where things just get messed up or disappear or whatever the case is and if there is a mistake i feel better knowing that i did it and not somebody else and um yeah so but but really really truly is the fact that my stuff is made is acquired locally mm -hmm. and it's just an extra expense that I'm dodging sending it somewhere and prep fees and all that. I wanted to ask you a question about when you decided to go full time. Once you decided to go full time and you went full time, was there ever a time maybe in the beginning where you were like maybe questioning if you did the right thing or was it always just smooth selling? No, yeah, definitely, definitely. There were times where you know, the first few months in and, and no, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the groove and, and I'm in the mix. I'm doing what I need to do. I'm sending things out and I would just question myself. Like, did I make the right decision? Um, am I, did I make the, a smart choice just quitting my secure nine to five, the income and stuff like that. And really a lot of that is, is the natural self-doubt that all humans go through right like none of us think that everything is going to be okay we all naturally go through ups and downs mentally in terms of you know something is working out like something could be going sky high working out perfectly and you still still have doubts you always doubt yourself but it's just about putting together everything that you've learned what you've done up until that point you know i only went full time because the the proof was there and uh, all of those times what snapped me out of that doubt was like, wait a minute, I just sold $30,000 last month or, you know, I, these suppliers, they really want to work with me and I've sold um, X amount of units, 10,000, 30,000 units in the past three months, whatever it is. So a lot of the times it's just about reflecting on the accomplishments and what I've done up until that point to get me there and just keep going. But you can't I like stop. That. I like that 100 yeah. percent because I agree with that. And I know when I decided to go full time, I kind of will wake up like I literally like the first couple of months I will wake up and be like, what am I doing? Did I make the right decision? I had this job. I knew when I was getting paid. But um, like I said, like right. before we talk, like I always like to learn about new things. And I really like to learn about how humans work in the brain from what I've 
learned is the brain likes comfort and your nine to five is comfort because you know when you're going to get paid, you know when you're going to go, you know when you're going to get off. So when you kind of go away from that comfort, your brain kind of tricks you and kind of gives you these thoughts of doubts to kind of try to get you to go back to that comfort. So I'd like, so just like you said, I think it happens to everybody. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, com and comfort is not good. No. Right. So I listened to a neuroscientist that has a podcast. His name is Andrew Huberman. I know him. And yeah. I was actually luckily enough to see him speak in New York. Oh, wow. At an event. Yeah. And that was cool. Um, but he talks about how uncertainty is actually better for the brain because that triggers you to get your ass up and get going, you know, pick it up and, and grind and hustle. Right. right. When you are comfortable and everything is a, a routine and everything is the same, you know, you, you actually get too comfortable and then maybe even depressed because you start to wonder, oh man, are things going to change for me one day? I'm just doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, when you're uncertain and you have a fire and a passion to make something work for you, you, you put a hundred percent into it. And that's really one way that a lot of people in business have persevered. Right. Yeah. So uncertainty is a good thing. And I've come to learn that as an Amazon seller, when you're uncertain and, and you don't know that if something's going to work out or not, that's the fire you need to go a thousand percent. Yeah. I also, I agree with that. And I like that. And I'm going to um try to listen to some more of his stuff because I know who, who he is, but I haven't listened to any of his things. But um, I also think that uncertainty, how do I say, breeds what do I want to say? Like breeds growth and breeds new, yeah. um, new ideas. Cause if you're uncertain, then you're going to try to find new ways to figure out things instead of just being comfortable and just like, just chilling. So I think it, it breeds new ideas and kind of gets you going. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. Like if, if you have that, that type of energy, then you start to even get creative, right? Like I'm even at a point where I'll one thing I'll do right to just cover myself like I'll pay my bills months in advance so like the car insurance uh, whatever I can pay in advance I'll pay it in advance until you know for for three months six months whatever the mortgage I'll pay that you know I'm good until June just an example right mm -hmm. and I'll still act like the rent is due tomorrow the mortgage is due tomorrow mentally just because I want to keep that fire in me going because I know that if I was to act comfortable just because I paid the bills for two mm -hmm. months, then that's just going to creep up on me and I'm just going to be acting complacent and I don't, I'm not the complacent type. So, um, even if I pay my bills in, in advance, I'm sorry to repeat myself, no problem. I still act like they're going to kick me out of my house. So it's just a mindset thing. No, definitely. You know? I, 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 yeah, I get you because when you feel that your back is against the wall, you do some things that you never thought that not in a bad way. I'm, I'm just saying that you work harder. You do more hours. You source more products. Yeah. You drive further. You look for more wholesalers when you think that yeah. you don't have any other option. About the paying bills, that's yeah. something that I do. I do it like just a little bit different. I like for like my cell phone, my light bill, my heat bill. I for like the first couple of months, I paid like, for like the next six months, but then I still pay every single month just just because nice. of my head. I'm like, in, in, in case something happens, at least I got this six. Because I don't have, when yeah. I, cause yeah. one of my biggest regrets, not regrets, but something that I wish I would have did is that when I quit, I didn't have six months of 
savings mm -hmm. already saved up. So I did kind of struggle at sometimes, meaning I kind of had to take money from the business to pay for certain things. So when I got to a point to where I was able to pay for things more in advance, I'm like, all right, since I didn't do it this time, I'm going to do it this time. So all my bills are like for four months to six months ahead, just in case something does happen, because we never know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's very important to have at least six months of or three to six months of expenses saved just because even with Amazon, you know, something can happen where you can get suspended and you have to get back work to get back in for a month or whatever the case is. Um, it's just a way to cover yourself. Right. And having peace of mind. Um, yeah. When I quit my job, I had like, I didn't even really think about the emergency fund. Um, because I was paying a very small amount of rent where I was living, you know, some, I was getting hooked up on that. And, um, and but yeah like i didn't really think about that i only had a few months of expenses saved so i did still pick up like a, a part-time gig i was working for a photo studio photo booth event where they would send me to um public parties i mean private parties and private gatherings and i would set up a whole photo booth uh -huh. and I, it was like 17 18 an hour right and then i would have I mentioned the Uber driver, right? I haven't done that since 2017, but mm -hmm. I still have the app active. Um, so yeah, I was doing little odd jobs like that in between just to pay the phone bill and the rent and that kind of stuff. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Not so, and you seem, uh, like a, yeah. you seem like a very eclectic person. Like you have a lot of different things that you know about and that you may be interested in. Do you read a lot or are you like into reading? Yes, I'm very, very much into reading. Um, I asked I that because that. you picked that book up really, really quick, and I kind of got to see it. It said Sigma something, and it seemed interesting. What's the What's the book? Oh yeah, so this book is a uh, Small Giant. Small, Small Giant. Okay. Yes, by ah, let's think by Bo Burlingham. Yeah, I can see it now. What and, and then what is it about? So actually, specifically, um, brought this book with me to kind of just hoping we could talk about it. Some guy you brought it up. But this book basically talks about how you don't have to really be a huge company to be uh -huh. a successful company, right? Companies that have the opportunity to, you know, grow beyond what they anticipated or ever thought they could go. And basically, he really goes and talks about how you don't have to be a huge organization to be a successful organization mm -hmm. or to be happy with your company, right? Because... Even with Amazon, there's a big rhetoric on, oh, if you're not growing, you're dying. But what if I sold the same amount of um, products and inventory that I sold last year, but my happiness is still the same, right? Like, if I had to catch myself because I was experiencing that myself, and I was like, oh, I have to keep growing. I got to keep, you know, breaking my numbers and breaking records. And yeah, that's great. But if that's not what you really want to do, like, if that doesn't bring you happiness, you don't have to do that. You can be perfectly fine selling what you are happy with selling as long as your your you know your bills are paid and you invested some and you're happy right mm -hmm. so he really talks about how several companies had the opportunity to go pub to grow by going public, public right. and get investors and how they eventually changed their mind because they didn't anticipate or they realized that's not what they wanted right mm -hmm. so when you go public and now you have private investors investing in your company now they're they're expecting you to give them reports and you have to um 
have meetings and say, hey, we're 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 working on this innovation because we want to keep growing so that your stock is more valuable and, and your money that you invested with us is actually being put to work. Right. But when you are um, a small business and you are just working for yourself and your family, right? And your resources are internal, mm-hmm. you don't have to report to anybody. Exactly. And you don't have to um for for lack of words kiss anyone's ass because you're just working for yourself that really reminds me of i like that idea and i want to tell you about a book that um i read a couple of years ago that maybe you would like if you like that book but um that reminds me of what you're talking about that reminds me i kind of equate it to let's say a let's say a musician right you can be you can get signed to a record label deal and then Mm -hmm. you have to do what the record label wants you have to put out a, a radio friendly um radio um radio friendly song even though you might not want to do that you have to go to these concerts and do these concerts even though you don't want to do that or you could be independent yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or you could be independent and do what you want to do now you might not make as much money as you would as a with with a record label deal but how much money do you really need like do you need that money to be happy and to do what you want to do so that kind of like gets me to think of to like think about that yeah yeah no musicians you know artists that's a perfect example because mm-hmm. once they're latched on to a record deal, now they're um they're basically working for the record deal and they mm-hmm. gotta exactly. the albums, the concerts, and everything like that. And they get an advance. Mm-hmm. That's how the uh, you know the music world works. They in most cases they get an advance and then eventually they gotta pay all that back once they, they generate big and all of that. And yeah. then some of them go bankrupt because they didn't make it back, they spent more than they brought in type yeah. of thing so that's a great example versus if you're going independent and you're just growing an organic audience through like youtube and soundcloud you know that's all you mm-hmm. so exactly yeah, example, um, sure. the book that i wanted to tell you about is a book that changed the way i kind of perceive because i'm a youtuber also and i do content creation and i i have another youtube channel that i don't talk about which is like more of a personal thing but on my amazon youtube channel i'm like promoting that so i'm into that but the book i read was called True 1000 Fans by Kevin Kelly. And it's basically basically about how a lot of people think you need a billion fans or you need 100,000 fans to be able to make money. But if you were just able to get 1,000 fans to pay you $100, you will be making $100,000. And it's much smaller and much easier to manage 1,000 true friends than a million people who kind of care about you. So it kind of got me to the idea that I needed to stop focusing more on numbers, my followers, my subscribers, and focus more on the content and the message that I'm actually putting out and seeing who is actually touching. So I think that might be a book that you okay. would like. Oh, the, yeah. I just pulled it up. Thank you for that yeah, recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Love that. What got you into reading? Like, is that something that you've always been into? And do you just read self-help and kind of like those type of books? Or do you read fiction also? I've always been into reading um, since... I probably got into reading after high school, mm-hmm. um, maybe around, I really started to buy books on my own accord, like 2010 around there, I graduated high school in 09. And it's really just, I think it was just a natural thing, just a natural desire to to learn and become better because I grew up in the Bronx, the inner city, and the education system isn't all that great. Mm-hmm. but I, you know, you get a hunger when you come from poverty and you don't want to be a part of that. 
you you look for ways to learn, right? So right. one way I, I discovered or I heard somewhere that one way to get mentors is you don't have to necessarily know them personally, but you can, you know, know them through YouTube and you just listen to all their stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was one way for me to get into reading, just learning the concepts, principles of successful people. My interest in books is particularly in self-help, um, personal development. I know it sounds cliche, but that led me into business books because, you know, self-help is one thing. Business is one thing. There's books that have both, but then there's some that are just straight yeah. business and no emotion. Um, so my interest is mostly in that. I don't really do fiction, although I'm trying to bend that a little bit because my girlfriend um you should see our bookshelf our bookshelf we have her books and my books and they're like two different books but hers is like um some social issues and and fiction and mine is like business and self-help so but uh yeah mine is my interest in books and reading and I also do a ton a ton of audibles is uh mostly in business and self-help I'm the I'm the exact same way I'm not really into fiction I'm more into self-help and business because yes. it's just I want like I want to learn and I mean I don't talk bad like I th I think reading anything is better than reading nothing but to me reading fiction is more like watching TV and it's kind of a waste of time to me personally I will I will I would rather read a book and get some information out of it than be entertained by the book and the best books to me are the self help books that are entertaining so those are the kinds that I like but I'm not really into fiction yeah. I got you yeah man I mean that's what it's about just learning. A lot of the times is you want to learn how they got to where they are. Like if you want to become a millionaire, all you need to do is read a book on the person that became a millionaire, or you could read a book on the 10 wealthiest people in the world and how they did it, you know, and people that are in your similar shoes, you know, if you are in a rags to riches situation, you can read a book from somebody that overcame all of that. Like you're not the first one, generally speaking, you're not the first one to overcome the issues that you're going through. A lot of people have done them. Mm -hmm. So nothing yeah. is new Books. under nothing is new under the sun. Exactly. Exactly. And um it's also a way for me to get out get out of funks. Like sometimes like we all do, I'll be in a funk where I'm just feeling lazy or unmotivated and and things like that. And it's really as easy for me to just fire up an audible, listen to a, a book that just gets all those emotions coming back out or reading a book that gets some new ideas in me and things like that. Um, that has, that is a big reason why I read too. So yeah, yeah. definitely. definitely. Um, let's, I don't, I don't want to keep you forever. So I want to um, ask you a couple of, a couple of more questions, then we can close it out. Um, with your business and the way you run it, do you have employees or are you like a, like just solo? I'm just solo. Um, it's like a very, it's a, an example of masochism because <laughs> like I'll just lock myself up and you know eventually I got to the point where I was able to buy a home for my family and I have a daughter now I'm very grateful for that all thanks to Amazon but um I lock myself in my basement and I'll just get to work I'll package things up and if it's a shipment that takes more than a day, I'll just simply pause and pick it up the next day. And people say it's a job, like that becomes a job. And a lot of people are like, oh, you should get employees or you should work with a prep center or whatever. I've done 
both of those things. And I've had like my younger cousins that are in high school help me in prep. And don't get me wrong, that's a great help. That's a huge help. And I would do it all day. Um, but they're not always available to help me. But yeah, I have no problem personally just busting out shipments. I, like, I'll do that all day. Right. Um, and yeah, so pretty much all me for the most part. Okay. I got a personal question for you, but I think it will help a lot of people. And yeah. I ask this because a lot of people are not at the point to get a prep center or hire an employee, but they're still spending hours and hours on their business or yeah. just like you. And I'm also the exact same way. I don't, I don't have a prep center and I'll have some people come help me, but I'm still prepping and doing it. Cause I'm also a control freak and I know it's bad, but I don't think anybody can, I think people don't care about your stuff as much as you're going to care about it. So I just would rather do it my, myself. Mm -hmm. And also I don't like, I don't like, I don't want to say I don't like depending on other people, but I don't like, it sounds bad, but I don't like entrusting my business into other people. Cause like I just said, I know that they're not going to care as much as that. I will care about it. They're, they're going to half-ass wrap it up. They're going to half-ass do the labels. They're going to half-ass do the shipments. And I'll just want to take my time and just do it. But how do I you agree. balance having a family and family time and doing your business at the volume that you're doing it at? Do you have like a structure? I work from eight to six or do you have problems with it or how, like, how does that work out? Yeah, it was definitely a learning adjustment. Um, definitely had to learn the and build routines around it. You know, now luckily I have the time during the day because my daughter is with the babysitter mm -hmm. and my lady is at work during the day. So I have that time okay. to to, you know, do what I need to do. So if it's pick up inventory or prep it, um, it's really just about planning. It comes down to planning. There are literally weeks where I just focus on picking up and I'm just placing orders. Monday, I'm picking up from supplier A, Tuesday from supplier B. And if there's more, you know, I'll just finish the week doing that. Or if I if it's not a pickup week, it's a shipment week. Like this week, like last week, I was just picking up, right? Mm -hmm. This week, straight up shipments. I don't need to pick anything up. Um, I also have suppliers that ship to me and that's a huge help. So it's just about creating the routine, right? Mm -hmm. And finding out what is what is the best time to do certain types of um, projects and knowing what is right for you. Yeah. So for me, you know, now I'm in the routine of like, before I even do any work, because I go to the gym, I'm going to go to the gym and that's going to be my focus. And then I'm going to come back and do the shipment. Actually, before I call, I was just printing out shipment labels. Oh, nice. So now I'm ready to do the, do the shipment from all the inventory that I picked up. So, um, yeah, just finding the routine that works for you. I definitely, definitely had trouble in the beginning finding the right routine and balance when it comes to family and stuff. You know, I'm human. Um, and it's it's very important to to let your family know that it's not all business, that you you're still there. And you still care to be there. Um, and you have to put in the work to 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 figure that out for you. Right. I am the exact same way. I am a very, I'm a very structured person. And my time is very important to me. But I understand that all my time can't just go towards the business. And at first, it was very hard to, because my brain is always going. It's like, I'm I'm always thinking about business. Like, I'm like, just how we talked earlier. I'm well, always, sleeping in business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No matter how 
I don't even like to think of myself as successful. I'm much better than I was last year and I'm much better than I was two years ago, but I always think there's more to be done, but I kind of had to figure out like, okay, like my girlfriend still needs time. My kids still need time. I still need time to, I don't really like to like to take rest. Cause even when I take rest, I'm still commenting on people's pictures or I'm, I'm doing something, but it's where I don't have to put my whole brain brain into it. But, um, Yep. I'm into my routines also, and I've learned that just a routine and having a set schedule is the best way I can be able to still be a father, a boyfriend, a friend, and get my business to where I want it to be at. So I agree with that 100%. Oh, that's great, man. That's great. Yeah, I always, I try my best to plan my day the day before. So that helps me a lot. So when um, you, I agree with you on that. When you plan your day, is it just like a to-do list or are you time orientated to like 8 a.m. gym? 10 p.m. printout listings from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. shipment. Like, do you do it that way? Or do you just do, I need to do these things tomorrow? Yeah, so it's it's both. I use a to-do list. I actually use an app called Todoist, T-O-D-O-I-S-T. I got that. And that, oh, yeah. So pretty much I plan my day in advance and I allocate the time in the day mm-hmm. of when I expect to have that done or to be focused on that task. Um. Like this call was on on my plan since mm-hmm. like Wednesday or so. So I knew to anticipate it. But um, yeah, I always allocate the time in the day and the amount of time to that task so that I know how much time I have to actually get something done exactly. before I need to move on to the next task. I do it the exact same way, but um, I have the to do is um, thing, but I don't use it. I I don't know if you know about bullet journaling, but I use a bullet, a bullet journal. I've heard of it. I want to. I want to jump back into a physical journal. I've. Yeah. I used to mess with some back in the day, um, but I have heard of bullet journal. I've seen some advertisements. My idea, that. my oh well, my advice for you, if you're interested in doing physical journals, I think bullet journal is the best way to do it. But if you're going to like YouTube it or if try to figure out what it is, don't. You have to like. I don't want to sound sexist, but you have to put bullet journal for men in there because the way that the the, the way that females do it is it's really, really nice, but it's so much extra. Like they put the stickers in there and they color it. That's, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's not what we need. So you have to like, we need it much simpler. So put it um, in bullet journal for men and it'll show you like much simpler ways of doing it and how it can help you out. Like it's helped me out a lot. And I personally don't understand how people don't do to-do lists or don't have a schedule, how they're able to get everything done. But I have so much stuff in my head. I have to have it written, written down for it to be done. Yes. Yep. And and the power of to-do lists and journaling and things like that is is that because, and I'm sure you agree, we both have so much things going on and ideas and things going on in our head. We can't just stop what we're doing and take action on that. Like if I want to um, build a, a YouTube channel, I can't just stop this call and say, let me start this YouTube channel. Right. You know, it's just for you to, and, and speaking of books and everything, an, an amazing, amazing book that I recommend to everybody is called Getting Things Done by David Allen. The concept in that book is that our brain, like we're not computers, right? We're made to have ideas, not store them. So mm-hmm. when we have all these ideas, just take a second to write it down and to put it on your to-do list or your actionable, um, you know, actionable journal, whatever it is that you store them on. And then when you have the time, you come back to that list of ideas and and things you want to innovate and try out and things like that. So that, you know, but the the whole idea is that you want to get it out of your brain 
so that you're not just actively thinking about it and you you know you hope that you remember at at 6 p.m or 8 p.m when you're getting ready for dinner and for bed it's funny that you say that because i have no scientific proof about this theory that i have but me personally i think my brain like a computer has a okay let's let's take your iPhone. Your iPhone has 32 gigs, 64 gigs or 256 gigs of space. I think of my brain as the exact same thing. So when I get an idea, if I leave it in my brain, that's taking up a little bit of space that I can use for something else. So I like to write down whenever yeah. I, I I get an idea whether it's pay this bill or it's do this YouTube video whatever it is, I just go to my notes real quick. I have a note that that says brain dump and I'll just throw it in there. And then every Sunday I do what's known as a life dump and I'll go through there and see all the stuff. And then I'll go and say, okay, this is stupid. Get rid of it. But I'll go through there and then put it down and figure out where in my life I'm going to do it. And if I'm not going to do it, then I'll delete it. But I don't like storing things in my brain because I think I'm either going to forget it or it takes up space for something else that's more important. So I agree with that. And I'm going to check out that book. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah, that. Yeah, definitely do. You. I think you'll like it. Um, that's exactly what it is. Great way to put it. Brain dump. Get it out of your brain, and come back to it when you're ready. Are you an early riser? Not by choice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not by choice. Um, I have a six-month-old daughter, so she likes to be an alarm clock for me and my lady. Um, prior to me, you know living with my girlfriend and having a daughter to be honest no i would probably wake up at 10 o'clock 10 30 11 and and like i'm the guy that's at the computer at 12 30 a.m 1 p.m 1 a.m um now not so much so i've had to like like we said adjust my whole lifestyle Mm -hmm. to having a family so um, now I wake up at 6.30 or so, and I'm doing all the, you know, all the work during the day when the sun is out and and until like 6 p.m. And from there, I'm kind of just winding down um, for the next day. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I don't want to keep it forever. So the last question oh, I want to ask you is um, if you can give the listeners, it doesn't have to be Amazon based, but it could be if you wanted to one piece of advice, what would it be? I'll I'll make it Amazon based. Okay. Because I'm I'm you know I'd assume that's why most of your audience is here. But and it goes back to the book, the Small Giants book. But he also talks about the impact in your community. So when it comes to your Amazon business, try to just see who's around you, right? You know, see where the mom and pop store is getting their products from and and network with the local suppliers like really go local first go within and see what's around you and just get to know people in your community let you know make your presence known pretty Mm -hmm. much let people know who you are so that you can grow your business that way instead of making it harder for yourself by going so far out and outward your life will be easy um when you focus on your community and being local and although we think Amazon and we think we serve as all 50 states and other countries, you you'll be surprised by the impact you, you can have on your business by working locally with local vendors. So nice. Nice. I hope that's good advice. No, that was, that was, that was perfect advice. And I agree with you. It's like, 
my wholesalers, the best wholesalers I have are the ones that are local. I have a couple that are out of out of state, but my local ones are the I, I get the best deals. I get the most products from them. So I agree 100 percent. Jomar, yes. I really appreciate having you on. Um, where can the people follow you at if they want to get in contact with you or just follow your Amazon journey? Thank you, Lewis. I really appreciate you having me, man. I, I, um, it was a blast just talking with you and networking. Um, I apologize that we couldn't make it happen sooner because I know we went back and forth, but I'm glad we made it happen. Um, for anyone that wants to just follow and connect with me, you can follow me on Instagram at Amazon Hustle NYC. And on Twitter, I'm Joe McJohnson. So that's J-O-M-C-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, Joe McJohnson. Okay. That's kind of like the old school uh, Twitter handle. So okay. I'll yeah. have all your stuff linked in before, but I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. So guys, I really hope you enjoyed that interview. It was one of my favorite interviews. If you guys are listening to this on your favorite podcast platform, please do me a favor and give this podcast episode five-star review. It really helps me grow. Lately, I've been growing like at a faster rate. So please keep doing what you guys are doing. Keep sharing the podcast to everybody that you know that sells on Amazon. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please do me a favor, like the video, subscribe to the channel, and click that bell so you can be notified when I upload new videos. And I'll catch you guys in the next video. Peace out.